0: We are recording. All right, another episode of the Spur Encompass podcast. Uh, Back down in Kentucky, which it's nice to be be back there with uh, Past Master, Worship Brother Rich Hansen. Thank you so much.
1: It's a pleasure to be here, Brother Cameron. It's an honor to be on your podcast. I look forward to the conversation.
0: So I got your information through a mutual uh, friend and brother of ours, uh, Dan Campbell who I interviewed a little while ago and he got in touch with me and he sent me your work, which we'll discuss, um, cause he believed that you would be a, a good guest to have on the show and, and looking at your work on anxiety and Freemasonry, uh, I was very happy you sent it and I agree completely. It's very, uh, I think it's going to be a great topic. So I do appreciate you taking the time to, to talk about it.
1: Absolutely. It's once again, my honor, um, I've been in mental health for, for some number of years now, and I've seen a lot, of, a lot of things come and go with anxiety. So me and Brother Dan had hooked up through some educational pieces in Kentucky. He's one of the finest men I know, and he's always trying to help promote younger brothers throughout the craft. He's, he's been quite a mentor.
0: Before we talk about um, your work in particular, uh, one thing I really like about, about yourself and your work uh, um, and Freemasonry is, you know, the, the fact that you've managed to combine your professional life and professional qualifications and then apply those to the craft. Uh, I think that's an important thing. I think uh, oftentimes people have a lot of skills and, and abilities that they come into Freemasonry with but far too often we don't take advantage of them or we don't apply those skills to the craft as much as we could. But you really, you mentioned it in your, in your work, anxiety and Freemasonry, you know, you've taken your, your professional qualifications, your professional life and used them to think about problems facing the craft and how to overcome them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's always been a, a very important thing to me. When When I got into counseling, you know, What I find is most people who they they get into the the psychological world usually are trying to find themselves out. So it's kind of always been a journey throughout my career. And, And I've always been able to anything that I am involved in, I try to pick it apart and apply my my work to it, because it's very important for me to figure I'm a why guy. And anything that I do, I ask why, why, why? And of course, you know as well as I do when you're in Freemasonry that there's a lot of whys that can be asked. And I have loved to, to apply not only the working tools, but my other set of skills that have uh, arisen from, from
0: my job. So let's talk about Anxiety and Freemasonry, which you published January, 2001. Um, I guess a lot of uh, Masons um, they wouldn't necessarily connect anxiety and Freemasonry in a uh, like clinical sense. They may recognize and understand, like, you know, I, I get nervous before I have to do this part or before this, but the idea of actually anxiety in a quote unquote therapeutic sense, and then applying tools to deal with that anxiety. Um, I don't know if that's a connection a lot of Masons would make. Certainly, it's, it's not one I ever thought about, but you, you really do lay out in the work why it's so important that we as Freemasons consider anxiety, especially in our candidates and our new Masons, and consider ways to reduce that anxiety um, to create a more enjoyable lodge experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What I was finding within myself first, it's kind of what it had me going down this path was that every time I would go to lodge, I would get nervous. And it is the basic nervousness, was kind of the premise of the paper. But I, I wanted to dive a little deeper because I asked myself, why am I getting nervous? You know, because I see other brothers who they don't seem to get so nervous, and everybody's wired different. And of course, when you're dealing with human behavior, you know, everybody's just a little bit different. But I knew that I was having an issue with it. And I kind of dove into that a little bit, because when I would get to the ritual, uh, I'm not a ritualist. Uh, I'm more of an education guy. I love education. That's why me and Dan Kimball and Tom Nitschke, that's why we all connected. But every time I would stand up and lodge to do something, I would automatically get this response. And I knew that I was capable. I was sitting at home and I I could quote things and remember things. No problem, you know. But I always knew that this this nervousness was a little bit above what I have experienced in the past, and it was it was kind of taking over. So that's when I kind of decided to sit down, pick it apart, kind of study a little bit, and kind of apply once again, you know, the the Diagnostic Statistical Manual that I use, and kind of look at seeing if that was kind of what I was feeling. And, and lo and behold, there was there was a lot of things there that coincided with each other.
0: What is the um, so so anxiety uh, there's the anxiety as a negative um, connotation uh, certainly. Um, but is there also a a way to to have a positive relationship to if not anxiety, then nervousness, or, or those feelings, can, can they be utilized in a way that encourages, um, encourages you know, dedication and work, and then a uh, feeling of accomplishment when you succeed? Uh, is it a matter of, you know, eliminating the anxiety, or is it a matter of, of controlling and using it in a, a proper way?
1: I think it's, it's a little bit of both. I don't know that we ever eliminate. I think that would be my ultimate. Goal, but yes, you're correct. You're you're really spot on on something. I had to learn to kind of harness that anxiety because, overall, anxiety, Cameron, will it keeps us alive. If we're crossing a street and we don't learn to listen to our body and maybe kick those senses in and look left and right, then we're going to get run over by a car. So anxiety keeps us alive in many forms. Even, you know, even way back in the caveman days, they would tell you anxiety, you run from the tiger that was chasing you. You know, you, you were able to do those things and feel those things. Anxiety, anxiety in small doses is, is very normal. It, it is part of life. But what I have found is that I've had to address the fact that once again, mine was a little bit above. I couldn't seem to get it to calm down. So I had to dive into some ways, some coping techniques, some problem solving skills. And I call that I call that walking through the veil because when I don't walk through the veil of my anxiety, it gets worse. It seems like I, I'm avoidant. I get more nervous because then you got to go back and really kind of face double of what you, you know, the fear that you you kind of let win last time. So I've learned to kind of, like you said, just face it, walk through it, feel it, learn that it's okay. I think there's some perfectionism there that I deal with, with some, some anxiety issues that cause that. I like to be perfect. I don't like to be embarrassed. I like to be structured. My personality plays a lot into that. So, yeah, I think I've, I've been able to take the anxiety that we talk about and kind of turn it into something good
0: yeah you know and this is a a topic that i've i've been bringing up very frequently recently because i think it's it's i don't know if anxious anxiety is the right term but it's something that i've been noticing it seems like there is a real um uh struggle especially amongst uh younger men to find um uh, meaning and 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 purpose uh, in the world. You know, there was a book written, I can't remember the author's name now, uh, The Crisis of Comfort, um, very recently, the argument being that that our lives become comfortable to the point that we have a difficult time finding a meaning or purpose in them. And you get the guys like uh, you know, Jocko Willink and, and David Goggins, all of these type of people who, they seem to be emphasizing um, uh, uh, struggle and challenge as, as being, um, you know, the most important thing. And, you know, I brought this up a few times to my guests, you know, the question is should Freemasonry be, you know, everybody would, would, most people would say Freemasonry should be an enjoyable experience, but it seems to me more and more that what we're seeing is other people when they are quote unquote marketing or promoting themselves, their, their organization or their program, they're not emphasizing enjoyment, they're emphasizing struggle and then success from that struggle. So I guess the, you know, in terms of, you know, for Freemasonry, how, does, how would we go about reducing anxiety, but maintaining a message of, of struggle and perseverance and, and overcoming? Because you know, we brought up ritual, you know, for some people, you know, myself included, right? It can be very challenging to learn a ritual uh, and very anxiety inducing, but then it can be very rewarding um, when you uh, perform it in lodge. Um, so I guess, how do we, like, where's the balance between anxiety uh, and enjoyment and struggle and success and all those different factors?
1: I think the hard balance to to play out, but I'm with you. I think you know uh, Freemasonry. When when it was proposed to me, it was almost like an, in a mysterious manner. It provoked me. You know, it piqued my interest. I didn't know what it was, so I never I never really seen it as the social aspect, the fraternal aspect of everybody just going and having fun. So I, I took it. I tried to take it really serious, and I, and I knew you know, when I stepped into lodge that there was a lot of solemnity, a lot of solemn stuff going on in most lodges. And, and I, and I'm, I come from a, I guess, um, come from a, a pretty deep Christian background. So a lot of what I was hearing there was familiar in other ways. Like I used to study the Bible, things of that nature. So I learned that, you know, it's not all going to be easy, especially when you get to the ritual work and a lot of the memorization, but it was a challenge to me. And I, and I agree with you. Once you complete that, you kind of amaze yourself. You're like, Oh, I didn't know I was capable of that. Finding the balance in that to me is, is, is difficult. It's plain to me, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean that my way is the only way because what I see in lodge today is in, in, in the States, anyway, and, and I can only speak for the ones that I've been to. Um, we throw people out there. There's no real uh, practice. I, it reminds me of going to a Broadway play, and I use this example a lot. It would be going to a Broadway play that was never practiced, never, never performed before, just throwing you on stage. And, and we mistake that. It's not really what I would call Broadway. It's what I would call improv. You know, improv's throwing a man up there just right out of the blue, making him perform something he's not really even sure what he's doing. Most of men probably don't even know what it means to be doing that. So we don't get a lot of education on that side. We don't get a lot of practice. And that throws people into some pretty chaotic things, you know, poor ritualists, all kinds of things come from that.
0: Yeah. And you, you know, you point out, um, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head for Ontario, but they are similar, Uh, you know, in Kentucky, you know, 56% of Masons who are initiated, passed and raised, you know, never return. Um, And like the the other 44%, who knows of that number, how many are returning on a a sufficient basis to actually form a lodge versus, you know, your your Christmas and Easter Masons type of, of thing. And yeah, so... You know, you can never know how those percentages break down in terms of what percentage are, um, you know, wanted to join the Illuminati and then found out that wasn't the case, and left versus what percentage felt both anxious and not supported in their anxiety by the lodge. But you know, it's hard not—it's hard to argue that a certain percentage of these losses aren't coming from or uh anxiety isn't a contributing factor for those losses
1: yeah i would agree and i think that you know my my paper that that i wrote states that it's just it's one theory of many that i have you know was, i was just seeing this in myself because when when i would come into lodge i'm very much a preparer i like to be prepared and I, i'm a guy you have to give two three days notice because of the anxiety that i feel and i like things to be you know, well done, I didn't, I don't like going up and being embarrassed, so what I was finding was, you know, I would come to lodge that night unprepared, not knowing, you know, if I uh, didn't think I would be working anything, and then, of course, you get confronted, hey, work this chair, work this chair, do this lecture, and, you're, and that's, for me, was too much pressure, so, you know, it, it just got overwhelming, and, and it, it was just one theory of many, but I think, you know, I felt it in myself, and I knew that I couldn't be the only one,
0: so from a, we'll start at the individual level, and then we can kind of work out from there. Uh, for a a mason who is experiencing anxiety, uh, either because you know for, for whatever reason he's going into a new chair, he's got a nice work, whatever the the reason is, um, what are some some techniques, some advice that you would provide to that uh, to that mason to deal with his anxiety leading up to and during a meeting?
1: Well, you know, what I would would suggest and what I have used is, you know, if I'm feeling a a lot of uh, being overwhelmed, I will do a lot of breath work. I'll do a little bit of meditation here, some deep breaths. I'll reset and recenter myself. I'll distract a little bit. Because I can feel, you know, even doing this podcast, I can feel my anxiety kind of raise because I don't know what's going to happen, right? So, so I stay busy. But most of all, my number one technique that I wish lodges would use, and I try to use, is I try to be prepared. I try to have, and, and we know in this world, that's a very difficult thing to do. But I think the number one thing that would, would lessen anxiety in a lodge, so to speak, would to be, have men instead of going in on a, on a regular stated meeting and just listening to minutes or treasury report, why would you not do mock degrees? Why would you not prepare these men for the ritual coming instead of what I consider? And I mean, this is debatable. I mean, I know we we get to see each other, we get to talk, but but a lot of that time to me is wasted. And I think instead of just having 15, 20, 30 minutes, we can do mock degrees and get very prepared and skilled and and master some of this stuff to where the next time we come in, we're a little bit better and we're a little bit better. And it gets better from there. We become become masters of our craft. Uh,
0: Even, um, I, I agree completely. Even going back to what you said, you know, the first part of your answer, uh, you know, you could use, and, and nowadays with Skype and with all these uh, different technologies, you know, you could use a Lodge meeting, part of it to engage in some guided breathing techniques, some some absolutely. meditation techniques, you know, bring in Randy Sanders, uh, bring yourself in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's a great thing to do in Lodge is working on, on one's breath.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You hear Chuck Dunning talk about that a lot. Uh, Brother Chuck is, is is fascinating to listen to in his his book. He teaches you all those things. And Brother Randy Sanders and, and Robert Johnson and Brother Brad Drew they've all jumped on board with that program that they have. But yes, you know contemplation, recentering yourself, learning meditative techniques to calm yourself. I mean, absolutely, that's perfect. And you could very well do that in the beginning of lodge
0: you know, breathing is, of, of all the, so uh, I was in, uh, uh, I, I'm still still involved with and involved with uh, Can-Am Professional Wrestling School here in, in Windsor. And of, of all the lessons I've taken from my time in, in the school and training, you know, breathing is near the top of the list. And it's one of the ones that I brought with me back to Freemasonry. I remember, you know, in the middle of you know, in, in a, whatever, whatever it is that you're doing, you know, the ropes, uh, hundreds of push-ups. the coaches um, would always yell uh, when we were getting tired or blown up would always yell, breathe. That was the, and you don't realize that when you're stressed and when you're uh, nervous, how easy it is to stop breathing, which is anti, you know, it's anti, uh, you wouldn't think it because you would think when you're stressed, the body would want to breathe more, but it's so easy to stop breathing or breathe in these weird irregular patterns. You know, you'd always hear, you know, breathe or breathe on purpose was, was another thing you get yelled at a lot. And then I brought that with me back to lodge because I realized you would see guys, you know, uh, this is a wrestling term, but you'd see guys get blown up. You'd see them get tired after a long lecture. And I realized it's because they're not breathing for half of it. Um, and I always thought, you know, more emphasis on, on breath and being aware of your breathing and learning how to breathe while concentrating and while doing work. That would definitely, I think, go such a long way to reducing that anxiety.
1: Absolutely. Um, uh, breathing is, I mean, that's where it's at. You know, if, if you can learn to master that, which is an endurance sport too, you know, learning to breathe, learning to sit still, learning to just listen to your body. There's, there's a lot of of endurance in that because we're not really that good at it now. Everything's so fast paced. But yeah, the breathing, see, when you don't breathe or your your breathing becomes irregular, your brain doesn't just say, okay, he's doing ritual, he's going to be fine. Your brain says, I'm dying. (laughs) It it doesn't have that that code in there to say, oh, it's just ritual. He, He says, I'm dying. So we automatically, our parasympathetic nervous system kicks into the fight, flight, or freeze. And a lot of people come out swinging, a lot of people can freeze, and a lot of people will run. And that was one of the main things that I was, I kept asking myself, why are good Masons not fighting for Masonry after all that they've been through, all the ritual work, all the, you know, coming up through entered apprentice, you know, fellow craft, all the things that they had to learn, the real hard work. After they go through all of that, then all of a sudden they're disappearing. What? You know, why? And there's a, that's why a lot of the flight from that, that um, diagram that I just gave you, it, just, it sticks with me. And I often wondered, is it just so much pressure on them that they just they get out of it? They can't handle it. And, and the breathing and learning how to control that body and learning how to control that fear and not run, uh, it's, it's, it's powerful.
0: So we've touched on that a little bit, but I do want to keep, you know, if you think about it in terms of concentric circles, move to the next circle. So from a individual Mason perspective, right? The the importance of breath and the importance of being prepared to deal with uh, those feelings of anxiety and anxiousness. What then can a lodge do um, to reduce anxiety in its members, in its candidates and its applicants. How can a lodge what steps can a lodge then take to reduce anxious feelings?
1: I think a lodge can be learn to be receptive. I think lodges can learn to be mentors, be friendly instead of, you know, I mean how many times have we heard somebody say something about a goat or you know try to spook the candidate? We we try to try to have fun. I don't know if you guys hear that in Canada, but we hear all kinds of things here in the States. It's pretty. I
0: I have said that to more than a few uh, more than a few applicants, uh, either at the interview stage or at the uh, the, when they're outside the door of the lodge. You know, how do you feel about riding a goat? That type of thing. I've been known to do that on more than a few occasions. So it's discouraged nowadays.
1: Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've done it, too. Uh, we we've all had some good fun with it but but when you look at people who might be a little bit more anxiety ridden or you know just a little bit more touchy you know you have to be careful because i think what the lodges really need to focus on is setting their candidates up for success and their young masons. it goes all the way up the line really i've seen guys that's been in there for 20 years and they've sat on the sidelines and they've done nothing there's got to be reasons for that you know So I think setting them up for success, mentorship programs, once again, I go back to this strongly, having good, meaningful, structured practice nights, it's really easy to have fun and do things in front of your friends. But you know how meetings go. It's not always your friends. Sometimes the Grand Lodge comes in or a stranger, you know, which it's other brothers from other lodges, but strangers to that lodge. And then all of a sudden anxiety shoots through the roof. And when you're not prepared and haven't really prepared yourself as a lodge, it shows.
0: And then if you want to move up even one more concentric circle um, to the Grand Lodge uh, level, what different things do you think can be done at a Grand Lodge level to help reduce the anxiety, either of the, the lodges or the individual members within those lodges?
1: Yeah, I think the Grand Lodge, I think everything you know, starts. I'm kind of conflicted on this. A lot of things start at the top. If If you have programs within the top, like I think next year in the state of Kentucky, there's going to be a leadership program that, that's going to be available. Now, I don't know the intricacies of that. I don't know everything that's going to be working there. But I think if you can build good leadership through your officers in each lodge, which flows down from the top. I think you'll start to see the officers carry that over to the members and the members carry it over to the candidates. And I think, you know, if we can teach that anxiety and and being prepared and some people are nervous and, and just a little bit of everything, I think if you teach that at the top, it's going to flow down. And I think the grand lodge is very Very much a key member of that.
0: Going back, uh, there's one other thing I want to touch on. Um, At the, I guess this would really be reducing the anxiety of the applicant or the the candidate, especially in his first degree. Um, uh, You know, one piece of advice that I always give to deacons um, well, first, you know, uh, I always talk to them about how important the deacon's role is because if ever there is an officer that sets a tone for a degree, not to add more pressure to them and make them more anxious, but, uh, you know, the deacon position, you know, a nervous or an anxious deacon, it really does filter to the candidate because he's leading the candidate. The candidate knows, I got a nervous guy here. And also you can just tell the whole lodge, they really do take the lead from from the deacon. So having a, a, a calm, breathing, relaxed deacon, it really does make all the difference, I find, in terms of a, a degree and a ceremony and the extent to which a, a lodge functions. It's, it's funny how one officer or one position you know, if 99 masons are calm, but you have one anxious mason, that anxiety, it's, it spreads, you know, not, not to, we're on the middle of a pandemic. It almost feels like it's a, a type of disease in and of itself. People catch on to the one guy who's nervous and they get nervous themselves. It's very interesting how anxiety can spread, especially if a key position has that anxiety.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, you know, we as humans, we put out vibrational frequencies. And, and I, I can prove that because my voice is a vibrational frequency. You're hearing me right now. So our body does the same thing through uh, body language, you know, micro expressions, and our, and our, our brains are very keen at picking up on those we don't even know we're doing them subconsciously so we can tell when somebody's angry without them ever being angry we can see it in their face their actions and especially when you see a deacon come through and he's he's all over the place and what i find is you know it's just like parts of a puzzle if the deacon comes through and he's calm collected and knows his part things will flow but if he's messed up and not giving the proper, well, you know, verbiage or something like that, that's going to mess the master up. And if the master gets messed up, it's going to mess, the, you know, the wardens up. And sometimes it's, it's hard to get it back together sometimes, which can cause some chaos and anxiety for sure.
0: Absolutely. And I would also, uh, you know, my, my, my piece of advice to the deacons to reduce anxiety in a candidate is always maintain, um, always, always maintain physical contact with the, the candidate. There's a tendency in, in, well, in degrees in Canada and the ones I've seen in the States, it's the same way. You know, there are parts where uh, a candidate is kneeling, isn't moving, um, is interacting with another officer. And the tendency can be for a deacon to just completely lose contact with the, the candidate for that period. Uh, but I always suggest, you know, even if the candidate isn't moving, put a hand on his shoulder. Um, keep you know don't don't end physical contact because as the guide and that applicant is probably the one person who has the most reason to feel nervous, especially in the first degree. Absolutely. To feel anxious, you know, maintaining physical contact at all times is such a message uh, and a calming influence for an applicant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, touch um well it goes back to the five senses they all play a part in our life you know and and when you can feel that contact there's a there's a calmness because honestly that's how masonry is designed in a way you know you have a guide and if your guide is there he shouldn't leave you and any minute you feel that you're alone in there and we know why you might feel that um that's a problem. I could see them being very anxious. So yeah, the, the deacon plays a huge role in touch with, could calm that, that candidate down greatly.
0: So you brought up the, the fight, flight, or freeze um, responses in our nervous system. And, and this is applicable to Freemasonry, but it's also applicable, I think, to, to life in general. I'll use myself as an, as an example. I've been noticing over the last several years a lot more uh, fight responses to things than I would normally have in the past. Uh, it used, you know, it, it, it used to be if somebody believed, I'm not going to get into what the beliefs are because that's a whole kind of worm. But if somebody believed dumb shit. <laughs> i like, well, it's, their, it's it's their life. Like, whatever. They can believe whatever they want. It doesn't, doesn't matter. But lately, I find I've had to set very clear boundaries about what I will talk about with some people. Uh, and it's not necessarily, like, everybody always assumes it's, like, a political thing. It doesn't have to be that. Um, but, you know, if somebody is... I was visited by aliens. I used to just be like, well, that guy's just a little quirky But lately I've been finding that stuff like that is starting to create a a fight response in me. And I think I'm starting to view the world more and more from like a prisoner's dilemma perspective in the sense that if there's a guy out there who believes he was visited by aliens, what else does he believe? How is he acting on those beliefs? And it's like, I'm in this world with you, pal. Like if you believe enough dumb shit, (laughs) sooner or later, you're going to make a stupid choice, and then we're all going to suffer. So, anyways, I've been finding, and you know, same thing on the internet. If I read something stupid, I used to just read something stupid and go, "Whatever." But now it creates a, a level of, of fear and anger in me when I see dumb dumb things being spread, conspiracies, whatever it is. Are you finding in your practice an increase in these feelings as well? Uh, it seems that there's a lot more. Fight or flight responses. It seems like there's a lot more fight responses being triggered in people in general. Um, do you think that's because we're just more aware of the connections we have to each other and how we're all kind of stuck together, or is it the internet? Is it social media? Kind of where does this, in general, sense even in, in myself? You know, what do you think is the cause of these increased fight responses?
1: You know, personally, I, I think you know human beings. Sometimes we like to argue. It's okay. Um, you know, and, some, and we all have different views for, for sure. Um, the main thing that I'm seeing right now is the social isolation. So as social isolation happened during COVID, what we did, and we were doing it anyway, but, but it exponentially, I'm sure, grew is everybody went to social media because that was the only outlets we had. And we know that the numbers were already astronomical. And the social media companies have come out and they've, they've, they've pretty much said, you know, that they've dictated algorithms, you know, and 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 if, you know, let's just say you're conservative, you'll see conservative things. If you're liberal, you'll see liberal things or whatever you're interested in, social media is tracking you. And they've then they've come to terms with that. They, they're honest about it, but they kind of dictate what you want to see. And even news media has said that, you know, negative sales so if they can create a negative narrative it sells sales magazines it sells newspapers it sells you know airtime and good doesn't always sell you know uh, unicorns and rainbows really just aren't the hot topic at the moment you know wars and death is so i think we're uh, bombarded by this stuff we are seeing a lot of misinformation everybody's got an opinion but nobody's got the degree to back it up or the science Um, and you're seeing a lot of people who are are more like yourself you probably have studied a little bit and you're seeing all this misinformation and it almost provokes a a response where we have to debate that it's a dangerous place to be really so yeah
0: so what would your your you know advice be to in a masonic lodge for example um if somebody comes up to me which has happened and says something to the effect of uh you got to check out this article and you look at the article and it's the world is flat what is the proper way to deal with the desire to break your phone uh on the ground when you see that particular story uh is it just a matter of you know the the approach i've taken which is i'm just going to set boundaries and if this person believes the earth is flat i'm just not going to talk about the earth being flat or you know i'll judiciously avoid those subjects is it i feel like it's just creating these islands of what's on topic what's off topic because i don't have the mental patience to argue that type of stuff you know right
1: right i think you know boundaries are very important but i also would i think that's a really good chance for you to do what carl jung would call shadow work and say why does that why does that provoke you i mean you don't have to believe it and I think we need to get to a point, and, I, and I'm with you, I don't tolerate a lot of the ridiculous stuff, but I've had, I have I find myself in the water with a lot of ridiculous stuff, of what I deem anyway. Somebody could say the same about me. But I have to ask myself, why does that make me want to lash out? Why does that make me want to correct them? Instead, I've tried, and, and Lord knows I like to do that. I enjoy that. Um, but I've tried to create boundaries for myself. And I've also tried to learn to control my lower nature. I don't have to correct the world. I also don't have to entertain the world. I can let somebody at this point have a view that I feel is not correct without having to try to teach or correct them, because, you, you know, as well as I do, Brother Cameron, if you don't have the ears to hear, the eyes to see, it doesn't matter. You could have the scientist in your back pocket and they're still not going to believe you. You know, you can have all the facts in the world. You just sometimes you have to tolerate people. But but I'm more interested on why that would provoke you. You know, what is within yourself that that would bring that out in you?
0: I think it's the. So I used to be um, very uh, uh, quote unquote liberal, uh, more on the libertarian side of things, in the right. sense that I was like, everybody just, everybody just do your own thing, you know what what person X does doesn't affect me and what person X believes, but I've become more and more concerned that. You know, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in the idea of, of beliefs lead to behaviors and actions. Absolutely. Um, and it'd be one thing if, you know, person X only believed the earth was flat and didn't. And that was that was it. But if they the thinking process that gets them to think that's OK, might make them believe other things. And eventually those beliefs, you know, that's when you start to get into the, the same type of thinking process that, that goes into that, goes into things like uh, just dangerous ideologies that can, you know, have a, uh, again, I've started to view the world more from the prisoner's dilemma perspective, which is like one of my favorite thought experiments, right? It's, at a certain point, I almost view it the same way. You know, when people say, uh, you can believe what you want to believe and I'll believe what I want to believe. My response is, uh, what I hear is, I'll drive in whatever side of the road I please. I'm not telling you how side of the road to drive on. I'm like, you know, I kind of feel trapped with you in this a little bit. Like I kind of need to have some confidence that um, you're not going to muck this up. And, you know, beliefs such as the world is flat. It affects my confidence that even though they may be, you know, well-intentioned and, you know, good people with a good heart, it affects my confidence that, they're going to make a healthy decision for themselves or the world. I think yeah. that's where the, the, the fight response comes in.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely a prevalent thing these days. We're all dealing with that. I think it's once again, I think, you know, there's just so much misinformation out there. I don't know that we know what's true anymore and everything, you know, is getting scrambled in this world. What we, uh, it's really hard you can't even believe anything that you see you can barely believe anything that you hear and what you read now is i mean you you've got to go and and scholarly research it just to even have any any faith that it might be real because there's just so much uh, junk anymore so that's left us with that exactly what you say i mean the lack of confidence in everything that we're losing so i love the ability to critically think but i think we need to come more along the lines of education versus debater. Because when we debate now, I'm not sure everybody can handle that. Uh, once again, not everybody has the ears to hear. So I think, you know, an education model. And I mean, you're, you're going to come to the point where I think you have to. Um, if you lose confidence in people and you have good boundaries, you you learn to find a better set of friends. You know, and I know that's not always the case, <laughs> not always feasible, but sometimes yeah, yeah. It's,
0: yeah it's one of those things of, of confidence in the sense again uh of you know somebody it's again uh you would like driving right you, i can have confidence that the person behind the wheel um in front of me is a good person or is a kind person but if i'm not confident that they have the capacity to drive that car you know uh, that concerns me the problem is you know that's a hard thing to apply then to, to thoughts. You know, you, you can't quite say the same thing because obviously everybody at least has the ability to think whatever they want. It's not a thing you can license in, in the right. same way. But that does become, and that, I talked about this really early on my podcast. Uh, you know, I can see that becoming an issue in Freemasonry in the sense that, you know, it's, it's nice to think that whatever fights happen on, in the social media world, they happen outside the lodge. But, uh, you know, the concern of those fights and those disagreements then coming into a lodge, um, because, you know, people, like you said, people are so online, so much on their phone, that produces its own set of anxieties, you know, leaving that outside the door of the lodge. uh, I can see that becoming a challenge, especially once we start to meet again in the, uh, you know, in Ontario right now where we're. Uh, our in-person meetings have been suspended till September 1st. Um, But I've seen more than a few fights between brothers on social media, uh, which I always, I have very strict rules. I never comment on anybody else's posts. Like I have very strict rules about how I deal with social media, but not everybody does. And I've seen some some pretty good debates and fights uh, on social media over all sorts of things. I'm curious how that will affect brethren when they return to lodge. Yeah,
1: I am too. It's like um, I see it all the time. I see a lot of, of well-respected brothers who are fighting. Uh, a lot of them that are even trying to stop the fighting. They recognize it, and we always hear the mention of brothers. Apply your working tools, brothers. You know, uh, subdue your passions. You know, you keep you keep every, just everything. You see it all. But what I find in most people, due to the lack of self-work, uh, self-reflection, contemplation knowing thyself, is that we have a really hard time seeing our own. And, you know, I think masonry is a wonderful tool if it can be used. And, and really, you know, that's where, once again, the education piece that I feel so strongly about, uh, that can teach us those things. But, but you're seeing a, a high number of, of masons who, once they get under stress or they get angry, it almost appears as if they lose themselves and they're not applying those tools. And I think think it's pretty evident that we all still have a lot of work to do there. And I think it's a prime time for the leadership of Masonry uh, to address that. Now, whether they will or not, I don't
0: know. You know, we'll see. Do you think that the lack of of face-to-face Contact adds to that because, um, so in Ontario, for example, right, we have been, our in-person activities have been suspended since March of last year. Um, Grand Lodge, to their credit, right, they organized virtual meetings and virtual uh, events and mail and phone calls. There's been a lot of, of contact, but the actual face-to-face in a room together contact has been very limited for the last year and a bit. Um, and it, it strikes me that, you know, the, the less it's obviously first it's very easy to type something extremely negative about somebody. It's harder to say it to their, to their face, but also that takes, you know, even the concerns I talked about to the, the next level, because even if I may have a lack of confidence in somebody in the sense that I think that they have believed things that could prove to be dangerous or hurtful. I still maintain my confidence in them in the sense that I know that they're a good person, they have a good heart, right? I, I believe that they are good people. It's just, there's, there's a, danger, a danger there. It seems like when you're in the virtual world though, you even lose that level of confidence. It's not just that you view this as dangerous, you view the person as bad, or you view them in a negative light. It's harder to differentiate between a particular belief or beliefs and the person.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everybody's braver online and there's a lot of um, a lot of information that we've put about ourselves online that should never be there thoughts emotions feelings people um, it's almost like their inhibitions get dropped when they're behind the computer screen I found I've, I've done it myself I've typed big paragraphs and then thank god maturity would kick in or some kind of wisdom or something I would like to think sometimes it's my wife saying don't do that <laughs> you know and I'll back up and erase it because we get so emotionally charged. There's, there's, you know, everything through, I mean, you know, the United States elections, the world government, everything got exposed here through, we, we almost, you talked about the divide earlier. Everybody got divided. We've seen who was conservative and who was liberal quick, and everybody went and jumped on their islands. and We hate each other now. And, and you can see that that's, that's a huge problem now. And I think the isolation has made that worse uh, the ability to just be on social media and not have that face-to-face contact is, has made that worse because what I find I used to travel to the United States and do some work and I would hear all kinds of things be careful about New York City be careful about and yeah I mean if you go down the wrong parts of New York City you can you could get yourself in trouble just like where I live you know and I live in a very rural area but overall I've never had any trouble anywhere face-to-face. Most people are humans. Um, well, all people are humans, but most people act human. Um, and they treat you with respect if you are respectful. Now, I know there's always outliers, but overall, face-to-face, people do pretty well, you know, even in lodge.
0: And is that also just one of those things that, um, whether it's it's 100% true or, or- whatever the percentages are, it just, it makes sense. That's one of those things that it, your life will be be better and you'll have a better time. With it if you just act as though that is the case, like it doesn't, you know, Joe Rogan um, had a great quote. What was he said? He said, you know, uh, uh, if you're, even if you're right, nobody wants to hang out with a pessimist. He said, like, if the world ends and you're like, I told you so, bro, like no one wants to hang out with you. It makes more sense to be, it's better to be optimistic and wrong than pessimistic and right, because at least the optimistic person will, will, you know, maintain a support system and have people around them and and will get through it better in this world.
1: Yeah. One of the therapy lessons that I had to learn, and I love Joe Rogan,
0: by the way, and David Goggins
1: and and Jocko. I love all those guys. So um, one of the lessons that I've learned through mental health is that people want to be heard. They don't want to be fixed. Now, I'm a problem solver. I'm, I'm, I'm a veteran of the United States Army infantry. Um, I love to do hard things. I'm an ultra runner. Uh, so I, so I, there's a lot of problems to solve in those things. And when I see problems in people, I'm the first to say, hey, let me help you fix this. And I learned that people don't want to hear that. What they want to, to hear is they want they want to be heard. Their opinions, their, their views, their voices. And and it goes back to you saying, you know, a lot of that is not how you believe. But one of the things that we use in therapy is a reflection technique where we just reflect what they're saying. And most of the time when you do that, it's all people want, you know. And it's really sometimes when we we get on that, we we hear the problems because it's a problem to us. It may not be a problem to them. And we want to fix things in people. And humans are finicky creatures, so.
0: Just hearing more about that, because that might be a really, I can see that as being um, a value to a, well, anybody in Lodge, but certainly a worshipful master or anybody who's a a leader in in Lodge. When they're dealing with either an individual Masons struggling or a dispute in Lodge between two brothers, that that technique of mirroring and, and of not trying to "Quote unquote," fix the problem, but just listen to the the problem and try to be a a sympathetic uh, uh, ear for whatever it is that's going on.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a leadership quality that we all desire. You know, being able to sit back and reflect or mirror. Um, uh, Dale Carnegie, with you know, he he talks in his book "How to Win Friends and Influence People." is still one of the best reads I've ever read in my life, and, and it's just he says that. The sweetest word in anyone's vocabulary is their own name. And he says, if you will use people's names, matter of fact, that's a really that's a really good trade to learn is try to remember names. If you will learn their names and just learn to hear them and learn to almost reframe. Once you hear them, if you reframe the problem and let them fix it, 99.9% of the time the problem can be fixed. But if you go in as a leader and you start to just demand or, you know, every the anger is going to ramp up. Anxiety is going to ramp up. Uh, feelings, emotions are going to be all over the place and it's just going to be a mess. That, that listening, reflecting, um, it, it's powerful. It's powerful. And, and if you can master that. Your leadership will probably go unmatched. People will follow you to the ends of the earth because they feel that you're, you're on their side. Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, it's something I struggle with uh, in leadership roles, but I think it's it, it definitely sounds correct to me. is that be the, the, you know it's, instead of saying like you're wrong or you're stupid, saying you know trying to figure out. Um, You know, if you start with the assumption that that the person is a good person and and means well, then you can mirror and figure out, okay, where is whatever the problem is coming from in a a more, you know, in a way that's based on kind of listening and empathy as opposed to a desire to, as you said, a desire to fix versus a desire to just listen and understand.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dale Carnegie, once again, you know, you said that I'm very much like a you're wrong and you're stupid kind of guy. You know, I don't I don't like call people stupid. But if you're wrong, my personality, I'm very blunt. And I'll be like, I don't think that's correct. And I learned that, you know, I I drive a lot of people away like that because I'm too blunt for them. He could Carnegie would say it would be better to approach that individual and say, hey, I don't really understand that. I really want to understand your point of view. Could you tell me more about that? And then when they do that, you can say, well, you know, you can kind of plug in, well, would, if we did this, you know, would this work? Do you think this, it, it's much easier. Well, I mean, it's a little bit harder, but once you learn the a skill, it's much easier to do that than look at them and say, no, you're wrong. Because this is not going to work. You know, you,
0: that divide is there again. And that's not going to get you very far either, right? Where, where do you go? Uh, where where do you, there's a lot where does a master where does anybody go from there if, if person x says whatever they say you know if the dispute is i say this and i just respond with you are wrong that does that seems to me you know that is going to increase anxiety and not necessarily get to any type of, of useful um resolution
1: right absolutely it's going to cause a lot of divide and uh, divide uh, you know we're, we're told as masons to whisper wise counsel to our brothers But there's not a whole lot of whispering these days. And and sometimes we can even debate whether it's wise counsel. But also, you know, on another sense, the Bible says that you can't counsel fools. So we can't have a fool's ears either. We have to we have to be able to take, you know, uh, constructive criticism. We have to be able to take uh, counsel. We also have to give it quiet. We have to whisper it. It doesn't, doesn't mean you call people out and you tell them, no, you're wrong. You know, when you do that, you automatically flip switches in people. If you do me that way, I, you know, if I, I'm a little bit oppositional, defiant by spirit. If you ask me to do something for you, man, I will give you the shirt off my back. If you tell me to do something, it's like the switch, you know, I'm like, hey, no way. And I have to really process and work through why did that get, because usually it doesn't mean anything, they're not meaning to do that, but it's just the approach of how people uh, talk to you, and, and I guess the tactfulness of, of speech, can it means a lot.
0: And that's a good piece of advice, going back to the anxiety thing, uh, especially for leader leaders in a lodge, um, certainly I, I can be this way, you know, when I was worshipful master, you're organizing, uh, whatever it is you're organizing, and then This candidate, this person can't show up, this officer can't show up, so you're busy trying to, um, you know, you need to fill a chair at the last minute, you need to work a part. You know, that can lead certainly to, without a desire, a a tendency to be very curt or very quick with um, Masons, or, you know, instead of can you go here, you just, you know, Bob, go here, whatever it is. It's certainly a good piece of advice for a master. Uh, especially a master organizing a degree you know to keep in mind um, just because you know it's a crisis to you you got to be careful that that doesn't come out in the way you're you're communicating with your brothers that you are you know a a master running around with his hair caught on fire ordering people around is not going to like it's not going to reduce anxiety or create a better degree experience for example
1: yeah, not at all. You know, there's so much to do in planning. I think, a uh, and, I, and I failed in this too because I got thrown into the master's chair way too early. Um, I think there's a lot of things we could do with planning. You know, if we started a week before and planned everything out and got a confirmation who's going to be there, we could we could really minimize a lot of the stress on actual degree night or lodge night. And I know there's times when, you know, you're still going to have that sporadic, I can't make it. But if you can get things lined up, anxiety levels are going to be way lower. Stress is going to be way lower. But yeah, if you got a master that's doing everything last minute, it's never been trained appropriately, doesn't know any different, um, the stress is going to be through the roof, anxiety is going to be all over the place, and it, it, it's going to show bad. And I think our, our new candidates, our, our initiates see that, feel that. And I think that's, that's kind of one of the reasons why some people don't return. Yeah, no, I... I...
0: I agree completely. You know, it's, it's always the, the most enjoyable thing about the podcast uh, has been making these connections with, with Masons nationally and internationally, uh, and then being able to, um, you know, for lack of a better term, uh, scavenge or, or steal their, their knowledge and their skills and then share that through, through the channel um for not only a masonic audience because that's you know my passion that's the thing i love but also just anybody can benefit from what you're talking about in any leadership role in any role in an office environment in a family environment with their friends we talked about the online space you know it's it's getting a chance to in this case uh you, you know use your skills um that you developed through Liberty Counseling. And really, I think that the things you've talked about and the advice you've given is gonna help a lot of people um, who see this um, make a better lodge experience, a better home experience, a better work experience, just a better experience in their lives.
1: Yeah, I, I hope so. That, that was the intent. You know, masonry's a, a huge passion of mine, but so is mental health, so is people. And, and so, so is watching people mm, come from a deficit and, and learn to overcome and, and I hope I hope you know this work and just talking about anxiety, I hope that can can absolutely help people change the way they view things, change the way they approach people and, and most of all change the way they look at themselves, you know know that they can overcome the, the fear and anxiety. that's, that's important
0: to me. That is a great place I think to, to end it because I think you're absolutely right and and that's you know what you do and and what you wrote um is a great example it's a great it's a great lesson for people to take which is you know it's okay to be nervous it's okay to be anxious it's okay to it's okay even to mess up um because like you said you can overcome those things and really the, the greatest success you'll have and the greatest feeling you'll have is in the process of overcoming those things and succeeding. Um, and that doesn't mean though, and, and as you point out, right, that doesn't mean you purposely make it, make it harder, right? There are things that can be done at the individual lodge and grand lodge level to reduce that anxiety and help the process of overcoming.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think you're 100% correct. It's, um, things can definitely be done better. We can always work and strive to grow more and learn more and apply more. But I think the biggest lesson we need to take out of anything is just don't quit. Just don't quit. You know,
0: I love that. Just don't quit. That's going, that's going to be the quote for this thing because yeah, people quit way too early um, before they find out uh, a lot of great things are around the corner. If anybody uh, wants to get in touch with you, or Liberty Counseling or take a look at your paper, Anxiety and Freemasonry. How do they do that?
1: I think pretty sure Anxiety and Freemasonry is on the William O'Ware Lodge of Research webpage. Uh, Dan Kimball and and Tom are are they on top of that. They have a wonderful webpage. So it's posted there, William O'Ware Lodge of Research, I think, dot com, but it'd be easily found. If anybody wants to contact me, my email address is libertycounseling1 at yahoo.com. I would be more than willing to talk to anybody anytime about any of this. So.
0: All right. I'll throw that um, email down in the description uh, for the video. And I never, I always forget to do this. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, Patreon, all that good stuff. Uh, support the podcast. Worshipful sir, thank you so much for the time and thank you so much for your work. It is an
1: honor to be here. Pleasure. You're my first
0: podcast, so I'm, I'm, I'm honored to
1: do it. When Dan mentioned it, I was, I was tickled to death, so thank you again.